Well, we do love our, our moms. Today we continue our series, The Opportunity of Adversity, and we're going to look at Moses' mom from Exodus chapter 2. Moses' mom was named Jochebed. So if you all are thinking about a name for your daughter or a future daughter or granddaughter, uh, Jochebed, it's part of the all-name team, right? Uh, now, Jochebed had a God-given ability to see through adversity and discover the opportunity. And she was able to see what her young son would need in order to grow into a godly man. And so we begin her story in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. And the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. Now, times were tough for Jochebed and her husband Amram. Uh, Things were a bit different in that day and time. Uh, Jochebed was Amram's aunt. And so uh, she was Moses' mother. And I think I'm right with the family connection. She would have also been Moses' great aunt. Uh, Moses was born a slave, just as those that are born in the United States are born as American citizens. Moses was born into slavery. The Hebrew people had been living in Egypt for about 400 years at this point. Now, to put that in perspective, that is the entire life of our nation. So generations had come and gone. They had a history that they had written living there in Egypt. And throughout the course of their years there in Egypt, the nation of Israel had grown from Joseph's family into a large, formidable force. Pharaoh, which is the title that the Egyptians would give to their king, he became fearful. He was fearful that because the Hebrew people had grown so large that if an invading army were to come into Egypt, that they would join that invading army and that they would be able to overtake the Egyptians. And so he declared a very harsh edict. He declared that all the Hebrew, the Jewish babies, all the male babies were to be killed upon their birth. Now imagine the anxiety if you were an expectant mother. There were no sonograms. So you did not know if you were going to have a boy or a girl. You weren't sure if the child that you were carrying had a future ahead or if that child might die very early in its life. Jockey bed, expecting a baby, no doubt was excited about it, and she had gone through all the months of pregnancy. So one night, the way I envision it, she comes into the bedroom and she bends down to help uh, little Miriam, her daughter, and whenever she raises back up, she goes, oh, what was that? Oh, Miriam, my, my water just broke. And they call the midwife and they go through a long night of labor. And even through the pains of labor, I can see Jochebed as she wonders, am I going to deliver a boy Or am I going to deliver a girl? And then she hears that first cry, and they hand the baby to her, and she holds that 
little baby in her arms and she realizes that this baby boy who is beautiful and perfect in every way, she realizes that her son was born with a death sentence. Well, Jochebed wasn't going to surrender to adversity. And so she determines within her that she's going to hide Moses. And for three months, she's able to hide her baby. Now, my wife and I have a four-month-old, and we can testify that babies are not quiet creatures. You know, you see those Facebook pictures, and the baby looks so peaceful and happy. What they don't show you is like the 15 pictures you had to take to get that one peaceful picture. All the others, it's like, ah, you know. Uh, Yesterday, I'm, I'm holding Camden in my arms, and Bennett is three feet away from me talking to me, and I can't hear a word he's saying because Camden is crying so loudly. So it's difficult to hide a newborn baby, especially in a little village environment. I mean, they were slaves. Everybody lived on top of each other. It was very, very difficult. But for three months, Jockey Bed nurtured her baby. She kept him alive. But then reality began to set in. There's too many people that know. The Egyptians are asking questions, and before long, the circumstances were beginning to close in around her. And so in verse 3, the Bible says, when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. And she placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Now, scholars tell me that it's, it's possible that Jochebed's duties involved caring for the Pharaoh's daughter. And so she lived nearby where the Pharaoh's daughter lived. And she takes time and, with a mother's skill, builds for baby Moses a floating basket. The papyrus reads there in Egypt, they would grow as tall as 16 feet. The ancient Egyptians would use them to make boats. They were also used to make ancient paper. And they would provide a natural barrier for a bathing or a swimming area. And so you could kind of hide behind the papyrus reeds. Now you can imagine the emotion of that morning. Jockey Bid kisses her baby boy and she places him in this basket And in her mind, she probably thought the basket would also serve as his casket. Paul Reed was telling me that 20 years ago in China, it was rather common to have babies left in public places. They didn't feel that they could care for a child. They might leave the baby in a train station or in an airport, hoping that somebody might pick up the child and raise them. Many of the children that were adopted from China during that time period were once abandoned by their parents. So Jockey Bed takes this baby and places him in the river. Well, Moses' sister was a young lady named Miriam. And Miriam, I envision having this big personality. You know any little girls that have a big personality? Well, that was Miriam. And she stands by the river and she watches. She wants to know... What's going to happen to my little brother? 
Well, verse 5 says, Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank and seeing the basket among the reeds. So Pharaoh's daughter is bathing there in the Nile. Her servant girls are walking along the riverbank, probably looking for crocodiles and other things that might hurt her. And they see this basket among the reeds. So she sends her slave girl to go get it. And when she opened it, she saw a child, a little boy crying. And then the Bible says she felt sorry for him. I imagine her holding him him in her arms. And she says, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Now, throughout this series, I've been trying to communicate to you three theological ideas about God's plans. And the first is this. God's plan seeks to liberate what He creates. We see this through Christ as He liberates our hearts which have been enslaved by sin. We also see this with the return of Christ whenever He will liberate the creation which is now in bondage to the fallen state of humanity. But God was at work in the nation of Israel. And Moses was God's chosen man to liberate them from slavery. Through Moses, God was going to bring us the Old Testament law. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible are called the Old Testament law, and they ultimately show us our need for salvation because through the realization that we have transgressed God's laws, that we can never measure up to God's holiness, it leads us to the cross and our need of the grace of God and the forgiveness that comes from God. And God had decided Moses was his man. God had a plan for Moses' life. Secondly, God's plan is more immense than what I can sense. There is always so much more going on than your finite ability to see it, hear it, feel it, and control it. In any given moment in your life, God may be up to 10,000 things, and you may be aware of three or four of them. God's plan is always more immense than what I can sense. And because we know that God is a God of wisdom and love, because we know that God is sovereign and holy, when God calls His child into a season of adversity, we can rest assured that on the other side of the darkness, God is doing something that is holy and good. God's plan is more immense than we can sense. And in in this story, there is so much going on beyond just the words on the page here. One of the things that was happening is that God was stirring Pharaoh's daughter's heart. Now, it's possible that Pharaoh's daughter had actually been raised by a lot of the Hebrew women. They would have been her servants, and so she knew them. She became familiar with their pain. I know none of us have ever experienced this, but sometimes little girls even disagree with their dads. Anybody ever experienced that? I know, crazy, right? So she may have disagreed with her father's order. And so whenever she sees Moses, God stirs her heart, and she feels sorry for him. Now, an observation that I I have made growing up in church and being a part of church for all my life is that before someone takes a leap of faith in an area of life, God, first of all, stirs a heart. God is at work before He calls us to take that jump of faith. 
couple of years ago on Mother's Day, it's, it's a very special day for us because a couple of years ago, my oldest daughter, Karis, was baptized on Mother's Day. Uh, she was six years old at the time, and whenever you have a six-year-old, uh, it's always a delicate conversation about salvation because on one hand, you do not want to be the person that keeps a child from God. On the other hand, you want to make sure that they understand enough about salvation and understand enough about uh, the, the story of the gospel that, that they're not rushing it. By the way, I think just a side note here, because a lot of us have children in our lives, we need to remember that God doesn't call us to understand it all. He calls us to believe, and we are called to believe in Christ. Uh, I've been reading the Bible a long time, and I still don't understand it all. There's things about salvation, about the atonement, things like that. I'm still trying to figure out. But God's call to us is to believe. And so we were talking with Karis about, you know, how God was working in her lives and there, there, in her life, and there was one thing that she said that really just stuck with me. She said, Dad, it just seems like lately, every time I go to church, uh, I just love God more. Like He's just increasing my love for Him every single time I go. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit just struck me, and I, I realized that God had was stirring her heart and that there was a work of God taking place within her. And so she wound up uh, praying to be a believer and, and was baptized later on that week on Mother's Day. And it's the proudest moment I've ever had in ministry. But I, I ask you this question. Is God stirring your heart in some area today? And it could be that He's stirring your heart towards salvation. It could be that God has put on His tool belt and He's gone to work in your life and He's showing you your need of a Savior. And He's been at work and He's been doing things and revealing things to you. And you're at that point where your heart has been stirred by God and He's calling you to take that leap of faith and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. Perhaps you've been visiting here for a while. You've been coming to church and, and getting familiar with who we are and what we do as a church, and God is stirring your heart to become a part of Murphy Road. He's calling you to, to put down roots and to be a part of this church family and to walk with this church family through the ups and downs and through the journey of life. You say, Lash, I, I like the guest parking. I get it. I get it, okay? Uh, one thing, Unwritten rule here, after six months, the guest parking's no longer up front. It's behind the dumpster, okay? So just be aware, be aware of that. But it could be that God's been at work in your life, and He's bringing you into this church family and stirring your heart that way. It may be that God is stirring your heart to be involved in a ministry of some sort. I talked about ESL earlier. There's a lot of different ministries that we have here at the church. And what God does within us should overflow the boundaries of our life. And He calls us to give away ourselves in service in some way. And perhaps that's how God is stirring your heart today. If God is stirring your heart in some area, whether it's salvation or church, ministry, uh, church membership or ministry, whatever it might be, I, I really invite you to talk to me today. If you can't find me, talk to one of the ministers today. Let them know how God is at work in your life because we want to be uh, pastors to you and we want to encourage you and help you and walk with you as God leads you and help you as you take 
those, those steps of faith in your life. Well, there's a third theological truth that I've been trying to communicate, and that is that God's plan vindicates what He dictates. God had made a decision, and the decision that God had made was that Moses was His man to lead the people out of bondage. And when God makes a decision, His will will prove to be true, will prove the decision to be true. And though the circumstances at this point said, no way, no how, God was saying, watch me work. As moms and dads, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as big brothers, I think sometimes we have to remember that God chooses our children for something within His plan. And it's easy for us to say, uh, God, you got the wrong kid here. No way, no how. But in reality, what we need to do is we need to get out of the way and let God show us the way. Well, in verse 7, I just love Miriam because Miriam's sitting there watching all this, and, and the Bible says that his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Should I go and call a woman from the Hebrews to nurse the boy for you? This was genius. She's sitting there watching her brother sail down the Nile River. She sees the Pharaoh's daughter get him out of the, out of the, out of the reeds, and she holds him. And then suddenly here comes Miriam. Hey, do you want me to call one of the Hebrew women to nurse him and take care of this baby for you? What's the Pharaoh's daughter going to say at that point? And so she says, go in verse 8. And the girl went and called the boy's mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse him for me. Now, don't forget this part. And I will pay you your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. What a Mother's Day this was for Jochebed. I mean, the day begins with tears of sorrow as she puts her little baby boy into the river, giving her son away, praying that God might somehow spare his life. And it ends with her being paid to care for her own son. She's a slave, and she gets to be a stay-at-home mom. How cool is that? Now, I'm told that a nursemaid, if you were a wealthy person in ancient civilization, Frequently, because children died early in childhood, you didn't really emotionally attach to them too early. And they would have a nursemaid who might care for the child for as long as five years. So God gave Jockey Bed five years to make a difference in Moses' life. In five years' time, Jockey Bed had to prepare Moses to live his life. And to follow God in faith. Question for you. How old are your kids? How old are your grandkids? How old are your nephews, your nieces, your siblings? When you hold a newborn baby in your arms, you assume that you'll have about 18 years before they go off. Some moms get 20, 30. 40 years before he finally moves on. But you know what? Your, your kids may be down to 10 years, 8 years, 5 years, 4 months, 
when the children in your life leave home, what will you have sent them off with? In five years' time, Jochebed marked Moses with a lifetime of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says about Moses and looking back at his life, it says in verse 24, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since his attention was on the reward. You see, Moses had two moms. He had the Egyptian mom, and she gave him the world. Private school, select soccer. When he turned 16, he got a four-horse chariot. He had a graduation party at the pyramids, fancy palace to live in. And then he had his Hebrew mom, and she didn't have anything. But she gave him the one thing that would last for eternity. She passed on to him faith in God. She modeled that for him. She taught it to him. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting the best things for your children. Nothing wrong with wanting them to be well-rounded and well-educated and to have nice things in life. But it is important that we realize that the best things in life are those few things which last forever. And as you think about your children, your grandchildren, your nephews, your nieces, those little kids that you have influence within their life, what are you investing in them? What are you building within them? Dad's the day is going to come whenever you walk her down the aisle. You'll go through a reception, and every single time someone takes an hors d'oeuvre or a sandwich, you'll think about how much it costs during that reception. And then she will drive off to live life with her husband. And as she leaves, what will you have taught her about life that lasts forever? Mom, the day is going to come when that boy of yours gets on that bus to go serve his country. And when the bus pulls out of the station and you wave goodbye as he goes off to basic training, what will you have taught him about life that lasts forever? Jochebed didn't know that God and His divine will had determined that this little boy would one day lead millions of people out of slavery. She didn't know that God was going to use him to write the first five books of the Old Testament. She was just loving her son, but God had big plans for her son. And those of us who are adults, we need to make sure that we download this thought. There is no greater responsibility in the world than raising the next generation. Moms, we thank you for all that you do in raising the coming generations. And I hope that we realize that that little person that's sitting next to us on the couch, you know who I'm talking about, the one that asks all the questions, the one that goes 90 miles per hour all day long, who makes your life a party in a hurricane, yeah, that's him, that's her. God may have Moses' plans for your child. And they need adults in their life who are willing to model the faith, to mark them with the faith, 
to help them embrace the faith as their own. They need moms and they need a mom and they need a dad. They need aunts and they need uncles. They need neighbors. They need big brothers and sisters who teach them to look beyond the adversity and see the opportunities. And they need adults who will take the time to realize how special those children are. They are so much more than a responsibility. They are a blessing. You'll take the time to embrace the blessings of God and teach them about the few things in life that last forever. One of the takeaways from this story that I'll never forget is it's amazing what God can do in five years' time. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? It could be that whenever I talked earlier about God stirring your heart, that you felt your own heart stirred at that moment. Maybe you're at that point where you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so right now as the musicians come to lead us in worship, our heads are bowed. It's just me, just me looking around right now. If you're at that point where today is your day of salvation, I want to invite you right now to call out to God. Say, Lord, I I need your forgiveness. I have done things that are wrong, and I need your forgiveness. I am coming to Jesus Christ today as my Lord and my Savior, and I'm taking that leap of faith, believing in Him, trusting in Him. And I ask, God, that you might invade my life and change me from the inside out so that my life might bring glory to you. If that's you today, if today is your day of salvation, I want you to mark this moment in time, Mother's Day 2016, right here at Murphy Church. You became a Christian. I ask you to talk to me, talk to one of the ministers today. Let us know of this decision so that we can help you and encourage you in your journey with God. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you because we acknowledge that you are God and we are not. Help us to run towards those things in life which are holy and to run away from those things in life which are evil. Lord, I thank you for the little ones that you have placed under our influence. They may be children that we teach in the schools. They may be nephews. They may be nieces, grandchildren children of our own, adopted children. Heavenly Father, I pray that we might invest within them those things which last forever. Help us, Lord, to seize the time, whether it's 20 years, 5 years, 4 months. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of the time that you give us. We will enjoy it, take it all in, but that we might not also waste it. May we use each day to honor you, to grow in you, to be like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.